we're in church. I was telling somebody this morning just a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, I love being in church. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world than in church on Sunday morning. So I'm excited to be here with you today. And I don't know if anybody else is excited about being in church. Raise your hand if you are. I'm just curious. Okay, good, because I don't want to be all by myself. And I, I am excited to hear what it is that the Lord has to say, because these are changing times. I mean, there's no doubt in our mind that these are changing times and uh, we all face that in, in one one form or one fashion. And so I want to invite you to go to Ecclesiastes today. We're going to Ecclesiastes and we're going to be looking at chapter three, uh, verses one through four. And, and, and it's a very familiar passage. Um, and uh, and you'll see that as we begin to read in just a little bit. But before that, I, I want to focus on on something else and go a little bit different direction to kind of you know, set us up so that we can see what it is that maybe God is saying to us there in the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, I go to the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And and in that letter, he, he, he gives us some direction or really kind of sets a standard for believers. Really, for me, it's kind of encouragement because just in summary in chapter one, what he tells us in chapter one, he talks about being faithful. That's what Paul writes to Timothy about is being faithful. And in fact, he says this, he writes it this way. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of a fear, but he gives us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So the standard is that as we choose Jesus Christ and follow Christ as Savior, he also gives us a promise that he will empower us or give us the power to live that Christian life. Amen. And then we go to chapter 2, and the chapter 2, it says something about enduring, that we're to endure in the faith, because we recognize that enduring is, is saying that your testimony or our testimony is not our own. The fact is, people are watching. People are watching the way you live your life. People are watching the way that you speak and the way that you act. And people are watching the way that you behave as you go to work and you live in your neighborhood. And so we recognize that Paul is saying, he's setting the standard that our testimony is not our own. It belongs to the kingdom of God. Why? Because people are watching. And then we skip chapter 3 and we go to chapter 4 and we'll chapter 4 and he says this. The summary is that we're to preach the word. And in fact, we look at one verse in chapter four, verse two, I believe it is. He says to preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season that we are to be prepared in season and out of season. And that kind of moves us in the direction of the idea that we started with last Sunday, which is is the idea that there is opportunity in the transitions that we go through in life. And those transitions are oftentimes seasons that we live through. And I've gone through a season or a change in my life in the last few years. Both of my parents have passed away. And so I'm now in a new chapter of life. My wife and I, there's no kids at home anymore. This is the first assignment that we've come to with, without a support group. There's no kids at home. And so we're going through a transition in life and we're processing through that and we're, we're having a ball, by the way. We're having a great time and we're having a great time getting to know you, but it is obviously a transition in life. And some of us, maybe it's our parents are becoming elderly, so elderly that you have to care for them. Or maybe it's possible that you're leaving high school and going to college or you're graduating from college. And so we go through all kinds of transitions in life. And with that transition, there is opportunity that comes as we begin to learn how God is going to use that transition and that change in our life for his glory. Now, as I'm thinking about this, 
I'm thinking about, you know, uh, I'm trying to come up with an image or an idea, a picture of something that allow you to understand that I'm talking about transitions. And as I'm thinking about that, what comes to mind is, is as far as different seasons in life is, is hunting season. <laughs> and that really has nothing to do with seasons in life. But as I was sitting at my desk and I was thinking about this, I started thinking about hunting season. And then I began to think about my, my experience, you know, during hunting season because my father started taking me hunting when I was 11 and 12 and 13 years old and I went through hunter safety and he, he bought my first rifle. And, and as I began to think about my experience in hunting season, it's not so much about the hunt as much as it was about spending time with my father. I'll never forget those Friday mornings. My my father always went hunting on Friday and Saturday because he owned a restaurant. And so he always had to be at the restaurant. And so we'd take Friday and Saturday. And those were the only two days that we could go hunting. And I remember when I was 12 years old and got my hunter safety. And he'd purchased me my very first rifle. And, and we got up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And at 4 a.m. in the morning, we went to the restaurant. And a couple of his buddies from church, grown men, would sit there at the table with us. And we'd have breakfast. And so it was dad and his two buddies. And then me, just this 12-year-old kid, sitting with the men. I got to be a man. And in fact, that was the only day of the year that he let me drink coffee. <laughs> and so I was feeling pretty big. And so we had finished our breakfast, and maybe it was about 4.30 or 4.45. And then we'd make the drive up into the mountains outside of Baker City, Oregon. And we'd find a place where we were going to hunt, or they probably already picked one out. And we'd go to this place, and we'd, we'd hike up the mountain before the sun had risen, before it was light, while it was still dark. We'd hike up at the mountain and find some rock or precipice that we'd sit on so we could watch this goalie where the deer would pass through. And we'd sit there, and it'd be cold, and my hands would be freezing. And it was okay because I was with my dad. And then we'd watch the sun come up. And then we'd, we'd sweep the valley and walk the ridges. And he'd wear me out. And that 30-30 felt like it was 100 pounds. And then in the afternoon, the sun was out and was strong. And we had sweat a lot and done a lot of hiking. In the afternoon, we'd find ourselves sitting on the side of some hill in the grass and and we had eaten our lunch, and now the sun was shining down on us, and we were warm. And we'd get sleepy. And sometimes dozed a little bit, you know, watching for deer, but we'd get sleepy and lean back a little bit. And it was during those times, though, that I remember that my father and I had conversations. And during those conversations... You know, I would listen to what he had to say and I'd ask questions. And, and now when I look at it in hindsight, I realize that in those moments in my experience in hunting season is that dad was forming my value system. And it was that value system that when I went through changes in life and I moved from one chapter to another chapter and difficult times came into life and I was facing a storm. It was those value systems that began to carry me through as I, I, I dealt with life in the way that my father had taught me. And the reason why I was ready is because I spent time with the father. And you say, well, pastor, what is the opportunity in transition? And I understand some of us maybe are mourning. Some of us maybe are angry about life. Maybe things haven't turned out the way you expected. Maybe you're a church member and you're just kind of wrestling with the dynamics of church. But it's during those times and those experiences that we learn from the Father. 
Because in my life, as I learned about dealing with life from my father on earth, I've also learned that I, I can also learn from my father in heaven during those times of transition. You see, how did I learn from my father? I spent time with him. How do we learn from our Father in heaven? How do we receive direction from our Father in heaven? We receive direction from our Father in heaven by spending time with the Father. If you believe that today, say amen. Amen. And so I know it's a very simple thought, but yet it's a very profound thought. I mean, time with the Father. Time with the Father is a time of learning. And in transition, it's the Father that we learn desires, who desires to give us direction, and we receive direction by spending time with that Father. That is the opportunity. What is the opportunity? It is to know thyself. That when the rubber hits the road, and life really gets hard, that we learn something about ourselves, and are we more like Christ, or are we more like the world? Someone said, and like this quote, that the quality and character of an individual is measured not by success, but when things get hard. When things get hard and when things are more difficult, then we see the the character of the person that begins to surface here. And I understand the human tendency is to take control. The human tendency is when things go sideways on us that we put our ducks in a row and we begin to, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And and we say, yeah, I'm going to fix this rather than giving God control of our life. Rather than releasing the control to him. And I understand it's antithetical to the human nature of who we are. But yet, yet, you know, there, there is hope in that. That God does want to give us direction. He does want to give us focus in life. After all, that is part of the spiritual discipline. That we spiritually discipline ourselves to spend time with the Father and receive direction from him. Now, I've said a mouthful. I've said a whole lot. To say that there is something that God wants us to hear today in our text this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 4. In fact, let's go there this morning together. Listen, listen to these words. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. (laughs) You notice there is a time that we, yes, there's a time that we mourn. And there's a a time that we probably hurt and, and a time that we can heal. But yet I look at the end of this, there's a time to dance. There's a time to realize that there, there is hope that God gives us. In fact, in this passage, the passage provides us a hint about contentment in life. In fact, in a recent book, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. In a recent book by George Barna, he states the result of our research is that Americans are relatively resilient optimists. I love that phrase. Listen to that. He says, He says, essentially, Americans, Gallup saying this now with all the research, that we are resilient optimists. He goes on to say that the the primary concerns that we have as as Americans is economy and our, our physical condition, our bodies. So he's saying that's what the research says, that we are more concerned about, you know, our physical health and economy than anything else. But but he says overall We understand, the poll says that we understand that we are a very blessed 
people. I think that's some pretty good insight, uh, especially when you consider the changing landscape that we live in. And, uh, you know, uh, whether it's politics or whether it's our culture, we live in a changing landscape. How many believe that this morning? And, and it's changing right underneath our feet. And, and so it's kind of encouraging Encouraging to me when he says that, you know, the average American realizes how blessed they really are, that we're blessed to be in America. And, and, and so he goes on to say it, it's unfortunate far too many people say that 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 life is dismal. And, you know, as believers, as Christians, especially, yes, there there is a changing culture and, and the earth is moving underneath our feet. But we know we know how the story ends. We know who wrote the book. We know who is the king of kings. We know that. And we know that, that, that God is good. Amen. That God is good. And, and we can find good in every season. And, and, and maybe this lends something to us about perspective. Like one quote I came across is, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. We see things as we are. And so, you know, there's something there about perspective and we have a changed perspective, a positive perspective. All of a sudden, the word of God comes alive and we realize that this makes the impossible possible because we have a positive perspective. And with a positive perspective, we begin to say, yeah, things are possible. And so I look at this passage and this passage just kind of reminds us that, yes, there there there's a changing thing about life. There are seasons in life and that we can experience and we can have contentment in every season that we go through. And I don't know what season that you're in in life right now and what you're going through. And maybe it's the beginning of life and maybe you're all the way down towards the end of life. But we can have contentment in relationship to the Father because we know who the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so there's this promise of contentment. I, I, I love that, that life is, is, there are seasons. But also we have an understanding of God's sovereignty. We look at this passage. And, of course, sovereignty is the idea that God, God cannot be taken by surprise. Nothing can thwart God. God cannot be thwarted. We understand that. Someone wants to find the sovereignty of God like this. The sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direct, his direction or permission. God works not just some things, but all things according to his plan and will. And we see that there in Ephesians chapter one around verse 11. And so we say, yes, that God is sovereign. I love the way that somebody put this one time. They they define the sovereignty God kind of like icebergs. In fact, uh, if you go to Greenland and around Greenland, there there are large iceberg fields. And and scientists say that if you are to watch this this iceberg field, you'll notice that the. The larger icebergs, say those that are the size of buildings, are flowing in one direction, while the smaller icebergs, say the size of cars and smaller, they're flowing in a different direction. And the scientists describe why this is happening. They say it's because the smaller icebergs, they are influenced by the wind and they're influenced by the waves And so the wind and the waves are pushing those smaller icebergs in one direction, while the larger, the building-sized icebergs, they are influenced by the deeper currents of the ocean. And somebody said that the sovereignty of God is like the deeper currents of the ocean. 
And so that in life, sometimes the wind is blowing, it's pushing us one direction or another, and the storms are coming, and, and we feel the pressure upon us. But ladies and gentlemen, it is the sovereignty of God, it's the deeper current and the deeper love of God that is an unchanging thing that is keeping us headed in the right direction. Amen. That's the sovereignty of God. I guess this morning I, I would ask the question, I mean, really from my heart today to you, I'd ask the question, do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe, church, congregation, that God is sovereign? Do you believe that no matter what changes we go through, even when it's not to our liking, is God sovereign? Amen. And, and do you believe that he's in control and that God loves you and no matter what you go through, that he's still God? Amen. I love the way an old preacher, he, he spoke about it this way. And he said it with great unction. He said, that's my God. He said, the Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Should I go on? Should I go on? Yes, that's my king. David says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can find his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's eternally strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impartially powerful. He's eminently merciful. That's my king, this old preacher said. He is the center of the Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He is august. He is unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the highest personality in philosophy. That's my king. Amen. He is the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all your needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he guards and he guides and he heals the sick. If you believe that today, say amen. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the younger. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Amen. Do you know him? That's my king. He is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gatekeeper of glory. He is the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors, the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislator, the overseer of the overcomers, the governor of governors. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He said, that old preacher, he said, yes, that's my king. That's my king. He's my king. He is the king that is in office. He is the office that is manifold. His promise is sure. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, but alone a man. Man cannot explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree, and they couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and 
the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He's always been. He always will be. I'm talking about he has no predecessor and he will have no successor. There was nobody before him. There will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. Hallelujah. That's my king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is glory. That's my king. And that is the king that we claim this morning that is sovereign over Mission Church of the Nazarene. And I don't know what it is that I really have in my mind that I want to accomplish today, but I just want this. I want this church to know, and I want our community to know, I want San Diego to know that God is king of Mission Church of the Nazarene. And he is sovereign. And he is mighty, and he is powerful. And thank you so much for your patience. To let me read the words of that old black preacher that said with all his heart that that's my king. That's my king. And I don't know where you're at in life right now, but I know this. That it's possible that in your heart, you need to simply say that today. That that's my king. That's my king. And I want to invite us to stand together to do that. I want us to stand together and and we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you just to respond to the Lord of glory, the Lord who is in this highest, the Lord that is mighty, the Lord that is powerful. I want to invite you to stand and say, Jesus, I believe in you. God, you're my king. And I claim you as my king this morning, no matter what it is that I'm going in life. And, you know, I think it's okay to be inspired when you come to church. I think it's okay to be inspired when you come to church. And sometimes we lament. And sometimes we embrace. And sometimes there's nurturing and there's teaching. But sometimes we need to be inspired when we come to church. And we're inspired when we know that he is sovereign and he's king of kings. Amen. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I pray, Father, for this one that is just saying, God, I need to say it today. I need to say that that's my king, that you're my king, God. I need to say that you're Lord of Lord, that you're king of kings, and that you're my mighty God. And I pray, Father, for that one, that one man or that woman today that is saying, Lord, I choose you. You're my king. You're my king, Father. There's no doubt in my heart. I choose you as my king today. In fact, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, there's some of you that's feeling that in your heart right now. You're wanting to say, that's my king. I invite you just to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Just raise your hand. You're saying it to the Lord, not to anybody else. We're not going to do anything else but just raise your hand today. But if you want to say that, that that's my king, that he's my king, he's my king, just raise your hand. Say, Lord, I choose you. You're my king. You're my king. I'm choosing you today. And I need to drive that stake in the ground. I want the enemy to know. I do not want there to be any doubts that that's my king. And you're lifting your hand to do that right now. God... You're my king. You're my king. I choose you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being my king today. Thank you, God, for being my hope. Thank you for being my everlasting life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for answering our prayer today. And Lord, you are so patient with us. You are so patient. Bear with us, Father, as we, Lord, grapple with who you are. and Your mighty sovereignty. And your power, Father. The promise that, Lord, that you will bless us if we endure. The word that says there in Timothy, as I mentioned, that that as we die with you, that we'll also live with you. That if we endure with you, we'll also reign with you. 
But also if we deny you, you will deny us. And so, Lord Jesus, today, we, we are not going to deny you. We're choosing you. We're saying, God, you're my king. You're my king right now in your heart. In your mind's eye, as we're praying today, you're saying this. God, you're my king. And I'm choosing you today. I pray all these things. You're mighty, God. I pray all these things. In Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.